Chucking It From The Cheap Seats is the newest podcast covering high school basketball. Head coach Josh Thompson interviews some of the most impactful people who make Hoosier hysteria great. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Subscribe to Chucking It From The Cheap Seats wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of Checking It from the Cheap Seats with me, Coach Josh Thompson, brought to you and produced by Bar Reeve Media. This week on the podcast, we welcome head coach of the Fountain Central Mustangs, Greg Dean, in just his second season with the Mustangs. Coach Dean led them to a 23-5 record and a regional championship. This coming year, he will enter his 17th year as a head coach really pleased to have one of my best friends in the coaching profession one of my best friends period join us on the podcast to kick off the spring season of checking it from the cheap seats hope you enjoy this edition as much as we had producing it and bringing it to you this week on checking it from the cheap seats podcast we are we are blessed to be joined by the coach of the Fountain Central Mustangs, Coach Greg Dean. Greg, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm well. I'm well. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule here. I know your uh, your time has uh, gotten back to you a little bit where, you know, you can take a breath after that long season. You guys had a great run and uh, heading into spring workouts now. But, but still, nonetheless, I know you're a busy guy, busy family man. So thanks for taking time with us today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Glad to do it. Yeah, Coach. Um, you know, we, we typically start out by our coaches kind of giving us their background in coaching. But before we get into that, I, I do want to go back to what we just talked about there. You had a, a great run in the tournament. You had a great regular season this year. You won 20-plus games. Uh, just kind of take us through this last season there at Fountain Central. Well, you know, it was. I really think you can't talk about this season if we don't go back to last season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we kind of, we started out the season pretty well. Um, you know, we, we started out in a tournament over in Illinois, the topper classic and, and, and played okay. And then we came, came back to Indiana, um, and, you know, kind of started our Indiana portion of the season really well. Then we kind of went through, you know, a rough patch after, after Christmas, we played a tough schedule at that point. Um, and, and we had a, a couple of tough games. Um, that we didn't play very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we played South Vermillion, and they really laid it on us. Um, and then that was a Friday night. Then the next Saturday, we had Seeger, which is one of our biggest rivals. And, and so I, I honestly, at the time, I didn't know how we would, we would bounce back. It was one of those situations where, you know, you've seen some teams pack it in at that point. And I really thought that that might be the case. And we came in, and we talked as a team in my classroom that, that Saturday morning, and just said, here are some changes that we think we need to make. And mm-hmm. um, the kids, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't turn from it. You know, they embraced it right away. They made the changes, and, and we played really well that Saturday night. And from that point on, the second half of our season last year was really, really good. We uh-huh. played well. We went on a winning streak, um, and we were we were one possession away from beating Carroll, uh, who went on to uh, get beat by Central Noble in the semi-state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol beat us by two in the sectional semifinal. So we came into this fall, you know, with some high expectations. So we sat down in my classroom first week of the basketball season. And we said, this is what we think we can be. Here are the reasons why I think we can be this. Mm-hmm. Now the key is for us to just come in every day and get better and all of us buy in and embrace, um, you know, these expectations and these goals that we have as a unit. Now, I'm not saying that everybody outside of that classroom at the time, you know, thought the way we thought, but our kids did, and they mm-hmm. bought into it, and they they pushed for it, man. They set they set high goals, um, and you know they did everything they could to reach them. And uh, in the end, we reached every goal that we set, um, except for winning the semi-state, because you know our goal was, hey, let's win our bi-county tournament, let's win the conference, let's win the sectional, mm-hmm. and then after that. If we accomplish those, then we'll just reset every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that. So uh, we had a really good year. It was a fun year. 
Um, our kids played well in big games and in big moments. And, um, you know, it, it took a, a little while, and I'm not even saying we're completely over it, you know, the disappointment of losing in that semi-state game. Um, but we had an opportunity to, to, to win that game. We didn't, didn't get over the hump. But now I can look back and really uh, enjoy the season that we've had and appreciate and respect uh, the accomplishments that our kids um, made over the course of this season. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about how last season you, you had that, that spot in the schedule where things weren't going real well for you in January, and then you mm -hmm. kind of turned it around and you went on that run. And, and I know you went 23-5, yeah. and five, but was there ever kind of a low moment this year where you had to regroup and really had to lean on your leadership? Um, you know, I think that there are those moments in every basketball mm -hmm. season. The high school basketball season is such a long season, um, you know, from November to, you know, in, when you're lucky, middle of March. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a long season. And you – you have times all the time where you have to, it could just be, you know, a, a random uh, Christmas break practice or something. I feel like where you have to lean on your, your leadership, your, your seniors, your captains. And, and we certainly had our fair share of that. We, even when we were winning games, you know, we had some times where, uh, you know, we got a little bit down or some guys didn't play as well as they thought they could, or, mm -hmm. you know, any, you know, little things that happened throughout the course of the year. And we were very fortunate to have really good leaders on our team. Um, I have three great seniors, um, especially Luke Foxworthy. Um, he is, I'm telling you, he was one of the best defensive players in the state of Indiana this year. Um, big athletic kid. Mm -hmm. uh, had the opportunity to play football at Butler, um, but instead he's going to go try, he's going to be a pilot uh, going to Indiana State to the aviation program there. Um, you know, but he, he was a kid that led by example, wasn't afraid to be vocal when he needed to be, and, and uh, our leaders were great. Uh, bringing kids back in uh, to the fold and, and keeping kids focused on what we were trying to do going forward. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing, Greg, where a lot of times people on the outside, when they look back at a season and they see that you went 23-5 and five and you ended up losing only by, 16, or by six to a team that goes to the state finals in Southwood, mm -hmm. and they think, well, man, that had to be so enjoyable, and it was. And it, But a lot of times people on the outside are like, well, you know, things just went well all year long, and that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you have to have really good kids, and I think that's the measure of really good teams is when you hit those low moments, whether it's that practice in uh, December over Christmas break or it's it's a game where you win but you don't play well, that you kind of regroup and you get refocused, and I think that's where you find the measure of your kids and how good of kids you got. You know, and I think as we're talking about this, one of the some of the times that I felt that our leadership really stepped up was, you know, in big games where, you know, maybe we had to call a timeout because we had, you know, had two or three bad offensive or defensive possessions and let, let our opponent go on a run, mm -hmm. you know, our leadership would step up in the middle of a huddle. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time my coaches and I had, you know, gotten into that huddle, Luke or Mason Larkin, uh, one of our other seniors, had already gotten everybody together and said, listen, you know, we got to get it going. We got to do this. We got to do that we got to find a way to, you know, to, to get better on the help side stuff. And, you know, those guys would take over a huddle, especially before I walk into that huddle. And, you know, those are some little things that people don't recognize either where um, leadership can step up and, and kids can feel comfortable talking to their teammates and, and talking to the team before a coach gets in there. I think that shows uh, the measure of leadership as well. Absolutely. We're going to go back in time now. You know, we, okay. we, we, we talked we talked about Fountain Central and the success that you've had here uh, wow. over the last couple of years. And we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about uh, Fountain Central basketball moving forward. But take us back to elementary school. And, you know, <laughs> because I think the, the journey of Greg Dean's coaching career, it really starts, like you said, this year's success started last year. I think it goes way back to when you were in elementary school and you were an olden bulldog. T talk to the listeners about how you became an Odin Bulldog and kind of growing up in a, in a coach's family. Well, uh, like you said, I was an Odin Bulldog in elementary school at the time. My dad was uh, the head coach, um, athletic director, assistant principal, PE teacher in North Davie. Um, so, you know, for a guy like me, um, being a, a coach's kid, 
uh, being raised in the gym and athletic director's kid, you know, being raised just at the school all the time, you know, sports has been a part of my life since, uh, since I can remember. So, um, I feel fortunate in that regard. Um, but you know, Oden Elementary basketball, you know, we, at one time, I'm sure we butted heads with uh, the Bloomfield Cardinals and, <laughs> and the, the Josh Thompson led Bloomfield Cardinals. At no, the time. So, no, Nathan um, Helms. Yeah, that is going way back. Nathan Helms and Todd Emmerkhaus always led those teams. <laughs> I was just along for the ride. I was just, just along, along for, the, for the ride. That's right. But I do remember my first elementary school game was in the old, was in the old Odin gym. And, uh, yeah, you I, know. I love that gym. It, it still bothers me that that thing is no longer here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish more of those old gyms would, you know, find some type of funding that could keep them around. Um, and, and that Odin gym was a great one. Yes, it was. It absolutely was. Now, remind me, the dressing rooms were down like in the basement area, correct? Yeah, they were downstairs. You yeah. know, that, I think you got a lot of those old gyms where those, those dressing rooms were downstairs. You had the, a little, you know, hallway up the stairs. It was very tight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the stage on the end, you could hear people, you know, bouncing around upstairs in the bleachers and on the stage. And, um, yeah, it was a classic one. Yeah. No, and I've told you this before, and we'll talk more about how you and I coach together. Uh, we're assistant coaches at Ligoti. But I just remember going into that game, like we just we heard of this legendary elementary basketball player named Greg Dean down there at Odin. We'd never we'd never played against him before, and we're like, we're just going to go down there. We're just going to win. And I think you might have had like 35, but we won that night, and that's all that matters. <laughs> well, I don't I don't remember who won or lost. I, I find it hard to believe that you beat us, but if you say so. Uh, you know, and then it was probably just a year or two later, maybe not even that. It might have been that next summer um, that I joined uh, an, a, an AAU team that was also led by Nathan Helm. Yes. So – you know, you go. got to know him that way in that summer. A lot of the Green County kids, the Davies County kids. So uh, that was a fun one, too. Yeah. Who, who would have ever imagined back in whatever year that was when we were in the fifth and sixth grade that yeah. I would be talking to you living in Montgomery, Indiana, and Nathan Helms would live a half a mile down the road from me, and we would both live in Montgomery, Indiana. Exactly. Uh, but uh, so then as a seventh grader, right, you became a South Putnam Eagle? Is that correct? Yeah, so so dad got out of coaching, um, would have been my sixth grade year. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was my sixth grade year. Um, and he actually coached one year of my elementary team. Um, and then he got uh, um, the assistant principal job at South Putnam High School. Um, that, got, that got our family closer to both my mom and dad parents mm-hmm. my grandparents so yeah. um i finished elementary school there uh in odin and then we moved up dad drove back and forth for a while uh then moved up to, to green castle in south putnam and and went to junior high and high school at south putnam yeah and uh you know you played for coach puckett there what what type mm-hmm. of an yeah. influence was coach puckett on you in high school um he was a tremendous influence and and you know as you think back you know, as a coach now, you realize what type of influence uh, your high school coach had on you back then. You don't think about it at the time, but he was very defensive-oriented, um, you know, ball control, you know, right shot, right guy, right time uh, type of coach. And, and But especially on the defensive end of stuff, um, I learned a lot from him and um, really appreciated, uh, you know, that, that defensive education I got. So he had a tremendous influence on me. We still talk today, um, and, and I appreciate uh, all the all the coaching um, little nuggets that I got from him as a player. He never would have guessed, I imagine, back when I was playing for him, that, that I would have adopted those defensive principles as a coach because I don't think people think I was too defensive-oriented as a player. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, something I get a lot too. You know, people talk to me about being kind of a defensive-minded coach, and and uh, I said, hey, everybody had to be a defensive-minded coach if you played in Ron McBride's system because we never shot it. <laughs> so, yeah, we never gave the ball up. That's right. Well, so after graduating from South Putnam, um, and obviously you you were a uh, a high school uh, standout in basketball and baseball there at uh, South Putnam, you go on to Wabash, and you played a little baseball there, and uh, mm-hmm. you actually were involved in a game at Victory Field 
<laughs> that uh, that I'd like you to touch on and have has Wabash been asked back to Victory Field since that game? The the, the ban has since been lifted. <laughs> okay. But yeah. So uh, that would have been my sophomore year. Uh-huh. Um, we played Franklin College at Victory Field, and and they beat us on a walk off home run. Um, that actually one of my former like summer Legion ball teammates hit to beat us. So walk off home run. We're going through the handshake line and. And there are some words being exchanged from our guys to their guys and their guys to our guys. And, and in the end, a, a brawl ensues. And, <laughs> and, you know, jokingly, but a little bit serious, too. It was kind of one of those um, life-altering events. You're kind of tested a little bit. Where are you going to be? How are you going to handle when something like that breaks out? And, and it was a serious deal. And, you know, yeah. there were scuffles all over the field. It took a while uh, to, to break up. And uh, the Indianapolis Indians banned both Wabash College um, and Franklin College for a few years. We were not allowed to come back uh, because of that incident. But, yeah, it was, it was a little skirmish uh, that got a little more serious than I think anybody ever anticipated. Yeah. And, and, and the good part of that is that the ban has been lifted. and that, that The kids... ban has been lifted and everyone's back uh, on the uh, – the invite list to, to Victory Field. Well, we wouldn't want those kids now to be penalized for the errors of your ways back in, in college. That, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so after Wabash College. Chucking it from the cheap seats is brought to you by Shootaway, offering products like 12K series guns, proven time and again by the nation's top schools and college coaches programs. For special pricing and discounts, contact Bruce Help at 317 767 5543 or go to shootaway.com. Well, actually, still during your time at Wabash College, right, is when you, you started uh, to help at Danville as an assistant? Well, I actually, my first coaching job was uh, as the freshman coach and varsity assistant at Crawfordsville High School. Okay. I'll tell you how, how that came to be. So I'm a senior at Wabash. And I know I want to go into coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, every summer, I'm working for Jerry Hoover mm-hmm. uh, and Rick Mount at D1 Team Camp. I was working Rick Mount Shooting School. I was working Junior Five Star. And so the summer before my senior year of college, we're up at, at Peace Field House in Fort Wayne. And we're at the very first team camp of the summer, meeting upstairs. Hoover's doing all the introductions, introducing the coaches and, and the referees and and. So I was, I had kind of graduated from being a camp referee. So I was more of Jerry Hoover's assistant. You know, mm-hmm. I was, you know, fill, filling up coolers of drinks for coaches. I was taking, driving coaches to dinner. I would drive to Monticello to pick up t-shirts and uh, at times wrangle cattle because, you know, the cows got out and Hoover had to run home. But so that first camp, uh, during those introductions, I just, I, I stepped up and I, I announced to all the coaches there, you know, I said, hey, Greg Dean, I'm a senior at Wabash College in Crawfordville, Indiana, and I'm looking to get into coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody has any opportunities uh, down the line, um, I would be interested. Uh, please don't hesitate to, to talk to me or let me know if you know of anything. Um, and so it wasn't too much after that. Russ McCauley, who is now the girls coach at Lafayette Harrison, yes, um, he got a hold of me and said, hey, I'm the head coach at Crawfordsville. You're in Wabash. I need a freshman coach. Would you be willing to come sit down and talk to me? And I, I said, absolutely. So that was the perfect scenario for me to get started right away, right there in the town where I'm going to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I coached the uh, the freshman team there and was the varsity assistant. Um, Russ treated me unbelievably well, you know, taught me a lot about scouting and, and practice planning and stuff like that. And um, so I was his assistant for a year. And then the next year, um, while I was I graduated, but I came back to um, finish up my education stuff, my methods classes, things like that, and do my student teaching. I was student teaching uh, at Avon High School, and Brian Barber gave me a varsity assistant job at Danville. So mm-hmm. I would go student teach at Avon, then drive 10 minutes from Avon to Danville after school, um, and, and got to experience that, which was another great experience because Everybody knows Coach Barber is a fantastic coach, and um, he's just really good at what he does. And, you know, a lot of the stuff, like his half-court trap and some of his pressing stuff that he still uses, you know, I, I've put into to our program. And, 
um, you know, both of those guys, Russ McCauley and Brian Barber, taught me a lot. Yeah, you know, both those guys are, are some guys that I hold in high esteem, but obviously Coach Barber, I know him a lot better through D1 camp, and mm-hmm. one of the things I always enjoy each summer if Danville is up there is just sitting over there and, you know, talking basketball with Coach Barber. I have a quick question for you about Coach Barber. What, what's yeah. the better Coach Barber, the short-haired Barber or the long-haired Coach Barber? Oh, it's definitely the short hair barber. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I yeah. love, you know, the, the, the flow, though, that he's got going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you spend a couple years up there in central Indiana finishing up college mm-hmm. and, and doing your student teaching there with Rush and with Coach Barber. And then uh, you have a couple different directions that you can go teaching-wise. I know you had a couple different offers. I know there was mm-hmm. one situation where – uh, a coach was out of town, actually overseas for a while. That kind of yeah. played into your your decision ultimately to end up taking a job at Lagodi uh, mm-hmm. to to become part of Steve Brett's uh, staff, and that's where you and I coached together for a couple years. So just kind of explain that that process that summer. You know, I, so I I finished up that season at Danville. Um, I got a a maternity leave teaching job at South Putnam. Mm-hmm. So I was teaching the second semester. I was teaching uh, seventh and eighth grade English. Um, and, but I knew it was only maternity leave. I wasn't going to have a job there, um, you know, going forward. So so I'm looking for jobs. And, and obviously, you know, guys like us, we're looking for the best possible situation uh, to coach. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, uh, Belmont was, was a really solid program. Sean Busick um, had done a great job building that program. Um, and they had had a really good year the previous season, and they had everybody back, uh, including a couple of uh, good college players. At least one was a Division One player, um, and they were going to be playing in the Hall of Fame Classic that year. And they were expected to make a run uh, to the state finals. They were just, you know, they were the, the odds-on favorite. And so I go up there and I interview. The interview goes great. Coach Busick and I. Uh, had had great conversations. His wife was the head of the English department, I believe, at the time. I, I met with her. I met with uh, the principal at the time. And um, fortunately for me, before I walk out of there, they said, hey, we'd like you to take this job. And Coach Busick said, you know, my wife and I are going to be taking a big trip in the summer, so we would love it if, you know, if you take this job, if you would come in and you will get to run the summer program for a little while until we get back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was I, you know, easily of high praise. I appreciated that he would, you know, be willing to hand that over to me with, with a program that had such high expectations. Um, and at the time, I had um, an interview set up at Lagodi with Coach Brett. Um, so I told told everybody involved, I said, I appreciate it. I'm not willing to, to accept this yet. I have one more set of interviews that I'd like to go through. And they said, we understand. And they were very, um, very gracious with that. And so I go down, I interview uh, with Coach Brett and the, the Lagodi administration, and I get offered that job. So um, I had a decision to make, and in the end, it was not a hard decision for me. Um, as much respect as I had for Coach Busick in Belmont, Southern Indiana was a place that, uh, you know, I found to be more close to my heart. And I'd known Coach Brett since I, I was young because he and my, my father are so close. So it was an easy decision for me. I took the the job with Coach Brett at Lagodi, um, teaching uh, social studies right beside the Josh Thompson uh, <laughs> and being a part of that program. And in the end, um, and, and also, we don't want to leave this part out, working for the John Mullen. Working for the John Mullen, who interviewed me. My actual first interview at Lagodi was not at Lagodi. It was in the gym at Eastern Green High School, the old, the old Eastern Green High School. Yes. That's where that interview took place because John was still – still over there as AD. Um, he was kind of in transition at the time so mm-hmm. uh you know that's just a, a funny little aside but um everything that was supposed to happen at belmont ended up happening at Lagodi. Mm-hmm. belmont did play in the hall of fame classic but they got beat in the sectional that year mm-hmm. and they didn't make the state run that that was expected and at Lagodi, we ended up making the hall of fame classic the next year and made it to the state finals that first year that I was there with you guys. Uh, so in the end, 
you know, it's kind of one of those things. I, I, it feels like I chose correctly uh, because of what we were able to accomplish. And obviously, uh, being with Coach Brett was um, a great learning experience. And, you know, uh, I felt comfortable right away. And we had a tremendous uh, couple of years there. Um, so I was very fortunate for that. Well, and you and I coached together on the freshman team. We had some phenomenal freshman teams during that during We that did time. have some phenomenal freshman teams. And I'm still upset that that game at Southridge did not lead to the <laughs> proper naming of your firstborn son. <laughs> well, the, the one of the biggest reasons why I made that bet with you in the in the tunnel there at Southridge is I didn't think there was any way in the world we were pulling that game out that night. And I, but I did. I told you we were going to win. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's when, when you and I stuck our heads together, we just, you know, yeah. It, it, the other team had no chance. They had absolutely no, no chance. But, you know, during that time, you talked about in 05 going to the state finals and then also there in the 05 06 season playing in the Hall of Fame Classic. Um, I think when I look back on my coaching career as a head coach and as an assistant coach, that semi state game at, at Seymour, I don't mm-hmm. know that there was, has been maybe more than a handful of games that are more special than that game just because of this of the situation that we were in and and how we won it absolutely it's you know that game is one of the games that and not just high school basketball games and not just high school basketball games that i've been fortunate enough to coach in but really it's one of those um kind of use the word elite moments in sports for me that i've actually been a part of Mm -hmm. you know just the atmosphere of that gym, um, the support from the community, you know, obviously with Washington being in that semi-state as well contributed mm-hmm. uh, to that crowd and that atmosphere. And, and the way it finished and to go to a, a state finals after that and, and because of that final play mm-hmm. um, put, you know, just capped it off. But you're right. It's one of those it, – it's a, a, an event that I'll never forget for sure. Yeah, and, you know, Greg, this podcast – um, I always try to, you know, give a plug for our media class. Uh, they do a phenomenal job with helping with this, whether it be the graphics or, or putting together the audio or the, the um, commercials and different things like that that go into this podcast. But uh, they are led by their fearless leader, Mike DeCourcy. And Mike and I were talking about that semi-state game a few weeks ago, and, and I think you will probably remember this, that the next year um, – Dave Omer spoke at the Ligoti sectional uh, banquet, mm-hmm. or, yeah. or or maybe he was interviewed about this. I can't remember. But anyway, Dave mentioned that when he was down there in the locker room talking to his team before they played in their semi-state game, that that was the loudest roar that he had ever heard in mm-hmm. an arena when Bart tipped that ball in. Because not only did you have the Ligoti fans cheering for Bart and doing that and us winning that game, but you also had the Washington fans there in that in that arena. It's so like you said, it was yeah. an incredibly special moment. Um, another and, and one of the things I remember about Coach Omer and that talk was he he talked about how not only could, was the roar unbe- unbelievably loud, but his locker room there, the Washington Hatchet locker room was shaking. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember him talking about that. Something that was kind of ingrained in my mind. Yeah, it was really really cool for him to talk about that that aspect of things. That wasn't even out there inside the gym. Um, yeah. You know, another thing that Mike and I have talked about with that run in 05 is, you know, the fact that sometimes coaches that have been under different people like you have been and I have been, you know, coaching with Ron, coaching with, with Coach Brett, um, you know, and you with Brian and Rush, you, you, you learn from those guys so many things that are – sometimes things that that you can't just quantify in in any certain way and what I mean by that is there was a game uh, in the sectional championship that year that we were down 14 to nothing at Mm -hmm. the end of the first quarter to Barree yeah and Mm -hmm. like coach Brett's demeanor about how he didn't let that affect him and the way he coached the team and how he realized that there were still 24 minutes and, yeah. and we just kind of chipped away. And then the thing that always really impressed me was at the end of the second half, or excuse me, end of the second quarter, when we were down by 13 and held for the last shot. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes, especially young coaches that haven't been around guys like we were fortunate enough to be around, 
I don't know if it's moxie or, or what it is, but they, they just don't have it in them to make big decisions like that or to keep their calm. And those right. are those are the types of things that I really learned from Ron and Steve. For over 32 years, D1 Basketball has offered elite basketball camps and top-tier player development programs. Team camps, individual skills camps, and shooting camps can improve performance for you. New Indiana basketball camps impact performance like D1 Basketball. Since 1989, annual enrollment in D1 basketball has grown from 80 to 3,500 players, making it one of the largest individual basketball organizations in the Midwest. The mission of D1 basketball is to help coaches and players maximize their performance. D1 basketball facts. D1 basketball camps are exclusively endorsed by the Indiana Basketball Coaches Association. D1 team camps have hosted more high school sectional championship teams, final four teams, and Indiana All-Stars any other camp shootout or summer tournament. D1 team camps provide the best chance for a school coach to work with all their teams in its top-tier competition for the Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you're right. Coach Brett was, you know, no matter the situation, he never got too high or too low and, mm-hmm. and stayed, you know, kind of calm, cool, and collected. Now, not to say he didn't get emotional and didn't get worked up at times, because we all know he did. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's part of that bulldog uh, nickname that he's got, but um, no, I think that I learned a lot, you know, in that regard, and I think you probably did too. Um, you're going to have to forgive the, the music and stuff oh, that happened where at the end of the day those cool songs about to play. But, um, you know, and, and Brian Barber um, is a guy that's cut out of that same cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brian doesn't get up a lot, you know, off the bench. Mm-hmm. He's very calm, cool, collected. He, you know, he puts a lot of uh, – a lot of emphasis on getting stuff done in practice and getting his kids to, to be able to make good decisions on the floor during games. And it's from the preparation that they put in, you know, during the week. Mm-hmm. That's, that's for sure. Obviously, you know, it's like the, the Navy SEALs, you know, your, your preparation is always going to, to be shown in those intense moments. Well, yeah. coach, after, after two years at Ligoti as an assistant, mm-hmm. You take your first head coaching job at Westdale, and yep. you were incredibly fortunate because you were one of the very few coaches that I know that go into a job, have some really good kids, convince those kids, mm-hmm. you know, that, hey, yeah, you guys have some talent, but if you listen to me, and even though I'm a young head coach, if you listen to me, we can put this thing together, and you guys played extremely well down the stretch, finished 17-6, and six, and you won a sectional mm-hmm. in your first year at Westdale. What was that like? Well, you know, as a young guy, um, you know, you win that sectional your first year, and, and there's a little part of you that thinks it's going to be easy all the time, and then it took forever to win that second sectional. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a fantastic experience. I was very lucky to walk into that first job uh, with the group of kids that I had. I had some kids that could really play, kids that had played together for a long time, um, and I had some tough kids, and, mm-hmm. and they, they did buy into what to what I was selling them. Um, you know, I thought that if we could get better on the defensive end, we had, and they had already shown in the previous years that they had the ability to score the basketball. We had a, had some kids that could really score it. Nick Millsball could really shoot it. Um, but we got better on the defensive end. And I said, you know, I kind of went into them with a statistic. I said, if you could drop your points per, per game defensively, just three or four points, I said, that would you know, add this many victories to what you guys did last year. And they mm-hmm. bought into it. And we, we also did a lot more ball control stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was valuable to us down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, being able to walk in, win a sectional the first year, um, something I'll never forget. That Muncie area is a great basketball area. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, and Westdale was a great place to coach at that time, too. Yeah, and you, you coached a guy there, Josh Burkett, who went on to become a head coach um, himself mm-hmm. and now is an athletic director. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just off the top of your head coach, can do you have any other guys that have played for you that are now assistants or have gone on to be head coaches? Do you have a few of those guys? Well, I've got – so Clayton Sullivan, one of my yes. um, former players at West Washington, uh, mm-hmm. has been the head coach at, at yeah. West Washington for a few years. He just got out, um, got out of coaching to spend more time with his family. Uh, but he was a tremendous player, and, you know, you coached against him. Oh, yes. Um, he had a great basketball IQ, um, big six six kid that could really shoot it from outside Mm left-handed um and i've had a couple of coaches now 
uh, assistant coaches that have gone on to be head coaches. Noah Stuckey uh, is the girls' coach at the Cal, been doing a great job up there. So um, it's always nice to see some of those kids that you've had an effect on and that are coaching and, and getting into education and things like that. Absolutely. Noah's a good one, great guy, and uh, doing a good job up there. And yep. I'm going to come back to Noah here in a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on him now because this is not the <laughs> Noah Stuckey show. But, hey, we are going to come back. Be. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Noah here in just a little bit. But you spent two years there at Westdale. You go back over to the west side of the state mm-hmm. and coached a couple years there at Seeger. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then ultimately in, in 2011, it's when you and I, our paths cross again. And you take the West yeah. Washington job whenever I was at Springs Valley. And yeah. that – 2011 or excuse me 2010 2011 West Washington team I don't think people realize how good that team was like throughout the year like as I was watching you on film like I was not looking forward to the West Washington game that was maybe one of the best defensive teams coming from a small school that I've ever seen you were you were doubling up like really good teams you'd beat them 52 26 Um, yeah that that was a really good year, and you guys fell a little bit short that year, but th- that was a pretty good time for you at West Washington. It was. You know, I can remember conversations that you and I had, um, you know, as I was driving home from interviews or thinking about what job to apply for, this and that. And, you know, we talked about the West Washington job, and I specifically remember a couple of times you told me, because I don't remember exactly what their win-loss record was the year mm-hmm. before, but it was a losing record. Mm-hmm. And, and you made the comment, you thought, you know, you said you thought they had enough talent to win 10 or 11 games. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, yeah. you know, that's an improvement from what they were. That's positive. Uh, and then we went in there and we won, I think, 16 or 17 games the first year. Yeah, you guys were 16 um, and 6. Yeah. And we we had a group of kids that, that could really guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate. You don't, in my opinion, in 1A and 2A basketball, you don't get too many teams where you get multiple guys that can lock down on the ball. Yeah. And and we had three or four athletes yeah. that could really, really <laughs> guard on the ball. I had a point guard named Trevor Nice yes. that was just a tremendous athlete. Um, he did a great job of leading our team. He's sacrificing because um, he was such an athlete. He could have scored more, uh, but he knew we had other guys that were more proficient at scoring. Mm-hmm. So he sacrificed his ability to score for the team, and he became our best defender. I had a kid named Isaac Rowland on that team that could really guard and really understood uh, the concept of team defense. I mean, he was maybe the best help side defender I've ever had. If you tried to enter the post Mm -hmm. from one wing and he was in help side from the other wing, I've never seen a kid that could get more steals from help side defense on post entry Mm -hmm. because he could just read it. And if somebody would, you know, pass fake to that post and skip over to his, his guy on the other wing, he was always there on the catch with a great closeout and did a great job. So um, I appreciate you saying that. That team was a really fun team to coach defensively, um, and that won us so many basketball games because they bought into it, and they were a tremendous defensive team. Yes, they were. And so you, you were at Dub Dub for four years, and then you decide that you're going to fly home and you are going to be a South Putnam Eagle. And when mm-hmm. you went there, uh, went back to South Putnam in, in 14-15, you know, Wins were hard to come by, but you, you built it. And I remember you had some good players that were coming in the middle school, and then the next year they were younger players. And you just kept telling me, you're like, hey, we're going to continue to get better. And so, you know, the first couple of years, the wins didn't come, you know, as much as you wanted them to. But then in year four and five, you went 11 and 16 games. And just kind of talk about yeah. that progression and, you know, and, and how that was that transition of going back home. Yeah. Well, you know, so I had actually, my head coach from high school was the principal at South Putnam. Mm -hmm. And um, after we won the sectional at Westdale, he called and wanted me to come back and talk to him about coaching at South Putnam. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I, you know, I had just been a head coach for one year and I wasn't ready to go home. Um, And, you know, one of the things that my dad always told me is, you know, it's hard enough to leave home the first time. It's even harder the second time when they make you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you got to be careful going home. Yeah. Um, and so I, I turned it down that time the first time and, and went, you know, a couple other places. And then I get the opportunity again um, to go to South Putnam. And it was a situation where um, 
I knew that it was going to be an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Coach Puckett sold it to me. We, you know, we need somebody to come in to, to establish the program and get things going in the right direction. Uh, and I appreciated the fact that he thought that I could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was an opportunity for me to go home. Um, you know, when I was in the in the position of starting a family and, and getting um, closer to home and starting a family all at the same time is extremely appealing. So I went in there, and the first two years were rough. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, when you have some of those years, um, you recognize the positives, you know, because so, there are a lot of negatives. But when those positives happen, you recognize them a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of the coaching – that we did as a staff with those first two years was maybe some of the best coaching that, that we've done um, because, you know, it, it was hard and you had to build from the bottom up and those guys um, that were at the varsity level, you know, getting them to stay the course, even when things aren't going well. Um, and they did a great job. And we had some older kids that, that, you know, kind of laid the foundation for younger kids to come up a couple years later when we did start having some success. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, things didn't finish up the way that you would want them to, right. you know, and work out exactly the way that, that we all would want in a storybook ending. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there there has been instability there at South Putnam yeah. since you left, and, and they probably will end up being on their fourth coach in four years um, starting next year. And that's where, that's where I always tell people, it's like, hey, you know, you have to give people opportunities uh, to, to keep that program established and, and to keep things going in the right direction. Because if you don't and you start making knee-jerk reactions, then you end up with a domino effect of four or five coaches in four or five years, and the program's right back to where it was 10 years ago. And, and like you said, but we, you know, those first couple of years, we, we did build something. We, you know, I was there for six years, and, um, you know, like I think it was year four or five, um, you know, the wind started coming and the talent that we had, you know, tried to foster at the lower levels, you know, started seeing some success. And um, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, programs are not just the varsity. You want to, you know, you want to build that program from the bottom up and see those kids. Once you start seeing success at all levels at the same time, mm-hmm. then you're really starting to build something. And, and that's kind of what we did in that three or four year period was, the success started to hit, you know, one or two grades lower every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those wins started to, to kind of add up. And so it was nice to see the, the fruits of your labor a little bit. Absolutely. And so then you set out a year, and, and if mm-hmm. there was ever a year that you were going to set out, you, you probably mm-hmm. couldn't have picked a better year to set out. It was the COVID <laughs> well, year. It, <laughs> and it was the COVID year, and it, it was not a planned oh, sit-out absolutely. year yeah. for me. Yeah. You know, so so I, I resigned at South Putnam. You know, it was just time mm-hmm. um, and resign with the idea of looking for other jobs. You know, everybody knows that the coaching carousel and the time periods right now, this time period right now as other coaches are getting out, and people are looking for jobs. And so, you know, got out with that in mind and. I resigned the Monday after the sectional. We had gotten beat by Park Heritage in the sectional semifinal. Mm-hmm. I resigned on Monday, and it, literally it was Wednesday of that week, regional week, that everything got canceled. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, it's just kind of wait and see. And so my wife and I are, you know, we were, you know, ready to, to look for jobs, but there were very few jobs that opened up. Uh, interviewed a couple different places, mm-hmm. um, but nothing that, you know, really, you know, latched on to me, nothing that caught my eye great. So we decided, hey, let's just stay here. Um, I coached golf. I got my, my you know, scratched that itch mm-hmm. uh, of coaching, coaching golf in the spring, just taught, took my kid to school and picked him up from school every day that I could and really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, and during the winter, of that COVID year where people are playing games, but nobody can go in the gym. Mm -hmm. I probably watched more high school basketball games online Mm -hmm. than I did. than I'd normally watch high school basketball games as a coach, you know, watched a ton of games. And I can remember one night in the winter, I'm watching, um, sitting there at the computer, um, at our Island, my wife and son are in the living room, watching TV, doing whatever they're doing. And my son kind of turned to both my wife and I and said, Dad, when are you going to coach again? Mm 
Yeah. And uh, <laughs> my wife and I looked at each other and made eye contact, and it was kind of right then we knew, okay, it's time to get back in it. So um, when the season ended and things were getting a little bit back to normal and, and jobs started opening up, you know, I was pretty active looking, and this Fountain Central job uh, came available. I had some people call me about it, um, had some connection to the school. Um, and, and, you know, one of the special things about it is this was my dad's first head coaching job. So yeah. um, it was a job that we had talked about in the past, my dad and I. Um, so it was a, an interesting thing. You know, made some calls, talked to the right people, and, uh, you know, here we are. Absolutely. And, and, and the rest is history. But let's go back the on that history. history. Let's go back on that yeah. history. You talked about your wife, Autumn, and you talked mm-hmm. about your son, Ryan, who I still yep. tell people is named after me because my middle name's Ryan. <laughs> That's right. But, that, uh, that is mine. But you, you like my friend, Mike DeCourcy, the producer of Bari Media, who's sitting across from me right now mm-hmm. listening to our interview. Um, you married up just like we did. Um, Absolutely. And, and you married up into a family that is mm-hmm. rich in basketball uh tradition and heritage in Greene County. So tell us a little bit about your wife, her family, and, and the Rhino. Well, I mean, like you said, I married up, very fortunate, um, and she continues to put up with, with all the craziness that is a high school basketball coach's life and a high school basketball coach's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, she comes from um, a family with a, a great basketball background. Her father's a former coach. She and her sisters played basketball and, and, you know, a lot of sports. And so they're a sports-loving family, uh, just like mine. Um, Really, there's not much difference from my family to her family, which, you know, is a really neat thing. You know, you don't find that very often. So the similarities and the commonalities are are really, um, really fantastic. So um, very fortunate. Um, Both sides of my family, um, my wife's side, my side, extremely supportive of, of what we do and and respect and understand it mm-hmm. um everybody you know there are so many coaches in in both sides of our family um that everybody understands you know that coaching lifestyle a little bit so. and that that makes life a lot easier when you have yeah a supportive spouse that is for sure yep. you know and you also talked about how fountain central was a school where your dad started teaching at he had a pretty mm-hmm. famous student there Tell everybody about that that famous student. Well, you know, around here they still know him as Jim Helwig. Yeah. Now, out, outside of this community, I don't know how many people would recognize that name, but um, to most people around the world, he is the ultimate warrior. And um, yeah, I remember one of the first days that I was teaching here last year. I've got two or three. Um, old wrestling figurines, Ultimate Warrior wrestling figurines. And one of our custodians walked in and she said, hey, I see you've got the Ultimate Warrior there. Did you know he's my nephew? Really? And, or he was my nephew. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, well, yeah. you know, that's, I didn't know that. And she told me a couple stories and different things like that. That's really you know, cool. It's, it's, yeah, so he, he is still a part of uh, this community in spirit and people talk about him. And um, so it, it is a neat thing, especially having grown up um, you know, watching wrestling and him being my favorite wrestler as a kid and, and to come into this community where he is still remembered. Yeah, you know, and Fountain Central is located in Vetersburg, Indiana, correct? That's the pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, what is yep. Vetersburg known for outside of the Ultimate Warrior? You know, not a lot, mm-hmm. not a lot. Um, you know, we've got a few factories around here. One of the factories, um, Master Guard, is owned by the owner of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, so that's, that's one of the things, but really, you know, um, we're a small rural community, Mm -hmm. just like so many other communities in the state of Indiana. Um, and you know, the, the community supports this school, um, extremely well. It's the center of the community. Uh, the run that we made this year in basketball, uh, in the state tournament, um, our fans came out in droves and just supported us like crazy. And uh, I couldn't have asked for any more than what they gave us this year. It was really great. And uh, Mike DeCourcy said I would be remiss if I did not mention the ultimate famous person besides the ultimate warrior, Mr. F- Three Fingers Brown, the Chicago Cubs. So Three said, Fingers Brown is from Petersburg? That's what, that's what Mike DeCourcy said. So. We Mike, need, I didn't know that. So Greg Greg Dean says that he did not know that, Mike. So 
Well, guess what? Next week we're going to have a U.S. history bell work about three-fingered brown. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I'll tell you what, when the when the man is in the house, you, you learn things. He said he's just here to yeah. educate. You know, Absolutely. we talk about uh, you and, and Autumn getting married, got married, beautiful ceremony there at Rose Holman. But the night before – uh, you and I and Noah went out, and we, we met two celebrities there on the Strip in Terre Haute. We met the world-famous Ernie Mesh. Ernie Mesh and Aaron Gadbury. Uh, yep. You know, and, and we, we love to give Ernie a good hard time every once in a while, but uh, Ernie was a good coach, and uh, he's doing really well for himself now. But Gadbury in D1 camps, you, you know, you talked about that, uh, that connection to Coach Hoover. Um, mm-hmm. I want you to tell everybody – and we're running short on time, but we still got time for stories. What is one of my favorite Jerry Hoover stories of all time? When you worked the Rick Mount camp, and Hoover wanted to haul the baskets on the trailer upright. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talk, and, talk and about the, that. He he wanted to get out of town. The uh, some of the other camp counselors had not done their job and gotten all the baskets loaded, mm-hmm. and you know right away. Hoove is not happy, and mm-hmm. you can imagine the the scowl on his face. And so he just decides, hey, just just load them up as, as they are. Yeah. Don't tear them down. Don't fold them like we <laughs> normally do onto the trailers. And keep in mind, we were in West Virginia. Yeah, the hills. You try to try to drive just with a regular trailer through mm-hmm. the hills of West Virginia is not easy. But then, if you were to add, you know, however many portable baskets and basketball backboards that we had, it, it wasn't going to go well. And the very first one that he tried to get guys to load up mm. ended up shattering. It, it <laughs> fell off the trailer and shattered. And that was right there you realized, okay, I've made a mistake. <laughs> so he, he, he allows us to take the extra time and break down the goals like we should have. Yeah. And that put us a little bit behind the eight ball. But, but we got home with all the rest of the goals intact. Um, now, mind you, we did not get to stop for food um, like like Rick Mount's group. Yeah. Um, Hoover wanted to drive straight through. Straight through. Yeah, straight one, through with no air conditioning. <laughs> one of my goals this year on this season of the podcast is to get Hoover on, and it's probably yeah. going to have to be a multi-episode series. Oh, and, yeah. And I want I him to imagine. tell some of the appropriate stories that he can tell from D1 yeah. camp because I want to get these things on record. You know, Josh Blankenship yeah. and I have talked about this, about how we need to get some of those stories on record. Um, oh, they need to be videotaped for, for future generations. Absolutely. You know, Coach, you, you win the regional championship this year. We, we touched on that at the beginning of the podcast. One of the cool things that I remember in watching that, sat over in Mike's basement and watched that, but was the pictures that Autumn and other people were putting on Facebook, which is a, mm-hmm. a great way to keep up with people and see stuff like that. But I saw some of your former players, some of your former assistants like like Noah. And what to me was special about that was your first Westdale team. A lot of those guys were there on that team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you lost there at Frankfurt. And yeah. for, you, for you to win it and for those guys to be back and be a part of that, I thought was really cool. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of neat connections to that that whole thing and the whole run this year. And like you said, with those guys coming back and – and, and, you know, I was very fortunate. I had multiple uh, former players come back this year just to regular season games, you know, mm-hmm. and surprise me and, you know, show up in the stands or in the locker room after the game, which was great. Um, you know, when we won that sectional at Westdale, we beat Liberty Christian in the final. Mm-hmm. And then we play Liberty Christian in the regional mm-hmm. at Frankfurt. So, yeah. you know, just some of those connections are, are, are interesting. And um, like you said, I had uh, a handful of former players um, you know, care enough about what we were doing to, to come back and, and support me and support us and support my family. And uh, it was great to be able to hug those guys and, and get pictures with them uh, on the court after the game and, and share that experience with them a little bit. Now, Coach, we're going to kind of finish things up here. Um, at the end. And so not necessarily a speed round, but just for you to touch on some things. And there's I've got some funny questions here for you, but – there's some okay. other serious ones as well. We talked about the 05 Seymour uh, Semi-State, the greatest shot that you and I were ever a part of as mm-hmm. assistants there at Ligoti. But as an assistant at Ligoti, what was the greatest shot you ever saw in the Ligoti Jack Butcher Sports Arena? 
Uh, it's no doubt when you went off the opposite <laughs> foot in the corner uh, there on the side goal uh, in pre or pre practice shoot around. Okay, so so you're going to talk about me with a shot at practice that Coach Brett got upset with, and you're not yeah. going to give me credit for the half quarter that I hit. So we won the Lagodi Men's League that one year. Honestly, I'd forgotten about that. I don't know how you can forget about it. I always tell people that, you know, at Southridge, Huntingburg Memorial Gymnasium, there are like the 10 greatest games of all time. Yeah, yeah. There, there's that plaque in Memorial Gym. And I'm like, mm -hmm. there needs to be a plaque in J Jack Butcher Sports Arena. But one of those games would be that men's league game, that, that championship yeah. game of the men's league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I still, I think I still have the championship shirt from that. Yeah, sponsored from that, from by sponsored that, league that year. We were sponsored by WRZR, the Razor, which is now owned by Dwayne Shake, one of my one of my okay. good friends. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah, that was a great league, man. That you know, just the basketball down there is fantastic, and guys that had you know been such good players in high school and college, and getting to be in that league, that was that was really fun. Coach, we talked about Petersburg. If I'm headed to Petersburg, mm -hmm. you know, you and I are cut from the same mold on this. If we're going to scout, like we, we like to stop to eat somewhere. Where's a really good place in or around Vetersburg to go go to eat? Oh, the Chatterbox. Chatterbox. What do they have at the, the Chatterbox? The Chatterbox is one. Well, I'm going to give you two here. So the Chatterbox is, is one great, mm -hmm. great breakfast. Yeah. Um, you know, we've started our, our postseason um, interviews with our kids, you know, meetings, talking about this season and this summer and next year. And, and so we did one this morning, and, and I, I bought one of our players breakfast from the Chatterbox, and mm -hmm. he got a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich yeah. and fried potatoes. So okay. um, the breakfast at the Chatterbox is great. And then if you want to get, get lunch, you got to go to Susie Q's um, right there at the, the crossroads of the WRC, as Kiss Country calls it. Um, so right there at the intersection here by the high school. Mm -hmm. uh, great food. I got the breaded chicken sandwich today, um, but so many – uh, great options. You know, it's one of those places kind of like Dairy Master mm -hmm. or Stop and See. Um, you know, great great people, great food. They support the school unbelievably well. So there's two places to eat if you're going scouting up this direction. There you go. You're, you've played a lot of really good golf courses. I know that's one of your favorite hobbies. What's your favorite golf course you've ever played? Favorite golf course? I, well, I've been fortunate. So I've played all the golf courses in French Lick. So mm -hmm. Um, the Pete Dye course is fantastic, um, and that would probably be my favorite one here. Um, I was fortunate enough to play one of the courses um, in St. Andrews mm -hmm. uh, as well, so that was uh, quite an experience also. Yeah. Um, you know, we, that was something that we didn't talk about, were, were your worldly exploits uh, as a student <laughs> at Wabash College yeah. and getting to go yeah. study abroad. We didn't, we didn't touch yeah. on that. And we didn't touch on that. Maybe that'll be the next episode. There you go. Now, you but, know, uh, up this direction, golf course wise, Harrison Hill is a, uh, uh, you know, a, kind of a, mm -hmm. a well kept secret. A great course, unbelievably well kept. Is, um, is that the one in Attica? It's the one in Attica, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Todd Lancaster talks about that one. He, he just gives it rave reviews all the time. Mm -hmm. um, now, we talk about favorite golf courses. Your favorite high school gym that you've either played in or coached in? Um, the Hatchet House is my favorite gym. Mm -hmm. Favorite historic Indiana gym, yeah. And I know you're a connoisseur of college basketball. Who, who mm -hmm. right now is your favorite college coach? My favorite college coach right now. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of respect for what Matt Painter does, and obviously I'm up in Purdue country. Um, I think Coach Painter does a great job. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Izzo's still high on that list. Um, but there are, there are a lot of college coaches that I like to watch and look up to. So uh, I'll tell you somebody that, that I, I like watching because of what he does defensively is Leonard Hamilton at, at Florida State. Mm -hmm. Being in Purdue country up there, do you get a chance to go to several Purdue practices or are you like me where – you know, people think, well, this guy goes to college practices all the time, but I maybe only get to two or three each year. Do you get yeah, to go to a lot? Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. No, I, you know, not nearly as much as you want to. It's kind of like when you're a golf coach. Everybody thinks you play. all you do is play golf, and mm -hmm. you play less golf as a golf coach Yeah. Um, than you do if you weren't the golf coach. Um, you know, I, I would love to be able to get out and go to more more practices. Um, 
fortunately I get to go to a couple of Purdue practices a year and, mm-hmm. and they're obviously very open to high school coaches coming in and doing that. So um, being, being fairly close, that's a, an added bonus. Next question for you is a golf-related question. Your favorite golf story, including Josh Thompson. <laughs> there are many, including Josh Thompson. Um, I think potentially when you multiple, con- I think it was consecutive holes, hit the, the orange crush. It was the same hole. The, we played 27. It was the same yeah, hole. Yeah, and you hit, you hit the tee marker in front of us, and the ball came back and about killed us. Two times in a row. Yeah, just just scorched it I thing didn't get more than two inches off the ground <laughs> and you know the the crazy thing about that is even like a professional golfer like if you told that guy hey i want you to hit that tee marker two times in a row for a million dollars i'm yeah. not sure that there are very many professional golfers that could even come close no. to that but it was no, just like but you but, did it yeah you did it square twice and the best part about it is no one was injured in the process yeah no one was injured but <laughs> um and then there are many stories involving the crush so yeah. I actually think that was the same day that your dad told the Ranger um, that uh, I couldn't play with the crush, and it was a legal club, and and uh, he came <laughs> up to me before the round and tried to tried to tell me that I couldn't play with it. Um, yeah, that sounds like Max. Yeah, that's def- definite. We could have a whole podcast on my- Max Dean. Yeah, you could. Um, but uh, th- we'll finish up with this one, Coach. You know, you you have had a great career coaching to this point. You're going to do it for the foreseeable future, what would your best advice be to a young coach? Because I have, I have a lot of young coaches that uh, tune in, tune into this. I see guys at clinics, and they're like, when are you going to get that podcast started back up? And, and a lot of these guys are young guys that are assistants. What would your best advice be to those guys? Um, you know, I think a lot of coaches would tell young guys, hey, do everything you can to learn. And I I do totally agree with that. Go to clinics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I want to take it a little bit further. Something for me that has been valuable is not to be afraid or intimidated to talk to other coaches about what they do or seek advice Mm -hmm. from other coaches. I think, you know, when you have um, somebody to bounce ideas off of or, even people that, you know, maybe you're not real close with, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting a hold of them and saying, hey, you've played this team. What would you do again if you played them tomorrow? Or, you know, what do you, you know, I've seen you play and I really like this press that you run. Can you mm-hmm. talk to me about that? Not to be afraid to go talk to other coaches and get information. And then within that process, constantly evaluating yourself mm-hmm. um i've told people this and you and i've probably talked about it before covid year for me when i sat out i probably gained more as a coach that year um just reevaluating the things that i did and the things that i believe in and what would i change from you know the way i approach things or did things or coached kids in the past leading mm-hmm. up to that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was fortunate to have that time. And as a coach, you know how it is. It's you, you never really stop thinking about it. Absolutely. Um, and so even in that off year, I was constantly thinking about it. And because I wasn't just able to constantly think about game planning and practice planning, you know, for the next day, I was, you know, forced to think about, you know, my own philosophy and my own beliefs and things I did in the past. And, what would I change and how would I change it? So um, don't be afraid to, to evaluate yourself and do it as, as often as you can and be as honest with yourself as you can yeah. about the things that you're doing. No, that's a great point. And, and to that point, you know, this past year, um, I think it was back in December, early December, I got a phone call, number I didn't recognize, and voicemail, went to voicemail, and I, I listened to the voicemail. I called it back. It was Coach Wolf who just won a state championship at Northwood. And he was getting ready to play North Davies. And we talked about North Davies zones and their traps and different things like that. And one of the things that I had mentioned to him that we had had a little bit of success with um, in the past was your overload set against against the, their 1-2-2. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they kind of put that in. And I remember watching their film from the Hall of Fame Classic. But something else that we talked about that day was how he was going to attack it with a high 1-4 set and the entries that he used to get into that, that he had got and borrowed from Matt Moore. And so, you know, you talk about that, about how you can't be afraid to make phone calls to different coaches 
Um, and even if you're a young assistant, um, I know guys like Gene Miller love talking basketball. You know, some of my yeah. favorite favorite times are going to IBCA meetings and hitching a ride with Gene Miller, sitting in the, a car and talking with Gene for two hours up and two hours back. And like yeah. you said, those veteran coaches, they love to share. And just mm-hmm. being willing to reach out to them and sharing ideas because I have very few new ideas of my own. They're, you know, right. I think it was Kelvin Sampson that said, once said that the best coaches are beggars, borrowers, and stealers. And, yeah, uh, I mean, there's – I don't know that there's anything in my playbook that I've developed on my own. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, maybe I've made a, uh, a change here or there, but everything is, is stolen or, or borrowed or, or begged other coaches for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Coach, I, I thank you so much for being on here with us today. Um, tell Autumn and Ryan that I said, hey, and best of luck to you as you go through your spring workouts and get into your summer stuff. And uh, No doubt that Fountain Central basketball will be back on track again next year and be ultra competitive once again. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Tell Mike across the room that I said hello and tell your tell your family I said hey as well. Well, it, it when 3.30 hit, he's out the door. You know, he, he may be the man in charge of Barry Media, but he's not working overtime. So I will give him yeah, your best yeah. regards. And I'll give Jamie and the kids regards as well. But, again, thanks for being on here, Coach. Look forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks up at the clinic. Yep, absolutely. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, buddy.